0: If you have your copy of God's Word, you can turn to Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, <clears throat> Luke, chapter 15, and uh, I'll take my coat off right now I'm thinking about it. Luke chapter 15, Luke chapter 15, and I want to give you a, (laughs) you know, you're always thinking about ways to open a sermon, you know, what's the, what's going to get people's attention and uh, what's going to draw people into the moment, so let's give it a shot, what do you say? All in favor, be seated. (laughs) Motion passes. (laughs) Uh, Have you ever seen that ridiculous movie, The Princess Bride? Inconceivable, and, it, and the guy keeps using that word throughout the movie, inconceivable, inconceivable. And then Andre the Giant, you know, he says, you keep using that word, but I don't think you know what it means. I think you're using it incorrectly. And this morning I want to give you a sermon about prodigals, prodigals. So let's look at Luke chapter 15. The word prodigal is a word used far and wide by Christians to describe a person who has left the Christian faith or the Christian church, and believe it or not, the word prodigal does not even appear in the Bible. (laughs) I wanted to be sure of that, so I got online, and I got my Bible program out, and I searched it. I searched it in the, the Old King James, doesn't appear. I searched it in the NIV, doesn't appear. I figured if the two most popular Bibles in the world didn't have it, it was no sense to look any further. But the only place it does appear in Scripture is in a study Bible where a Bible that has a kind of paragraph headings. You'll see Parable of the Prodigal Son. It's in the Bible, but it's not a part of the scriptural text, the text. So it's a term, though, we've adopted as Christians, and we use it, The use of it has created a definition for it that that the word does not have. The, The word does not mean wild child or wanderer. The word refers to a person, to someone who is spending money or resources freely and recklessly, wastefully, extravagantly, or someone who is doing something on a lavish scale. And that's the word I want you to think about, lavish, lavish. Prodigal, a synonym for the word prodigal is the word lavish, lavish. Now, the word lavish does appear in the New International Version. It appears in 1 John 3, 1, which I think is so cool. Behold what manner of love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called the sons of God. I think that's, I could make a whole sermon out of that, amen? (laughs) And it would be worth hearing. So that's what the word means. Now, let's take a reading from God's Word Chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. I'm going to read this passage, and I may not come back to it, but uh, don't get mad at me. Verse 11. Jesus continued. He's talking, he's telling three stories. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. We don't like to say anything positive about this kid because of what he's doing, but that, what he just did is a positive thing. When he ran out of dough, he got a job. And that's a good thing to do. (laughs) Work is good. Amen? Wait a minute. Work is good. In all labor there is profit. Profit. Even fishing is work sometimes. Amen? (laughs) Of course, it would be not great to make a living doing that, though, wouldn't it? Then it probably wouldn't be any fun anymore. Verse 15. He went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country... But while it was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pled with him. But he answered his father, Look. He was lost and is found. We trust the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. I want to point out to you two sorts of lavish extravagances in this passage. The first one is the lavishness of the son. In our text, the younger son decides that he wants to leave home. He's sick of dad telling him what to do. He, and, and maybe he's not sick of his dad telling him what to do. He just wants to get out there and do something. My, my own son, my oldest son, when he was 18 years old, he decided to get a job. Uh, you guys might get to meet him next week if you're good. <laughs> but when he, when he turned 18, he wanted to go out and get a job. He wanted to go live on his own. He did not leave home in rebellion. He was not angry at us. He had, just said, He said, I'm a man now, and I'm going to make my way in the world. So he went out and did it. it was, I didn't want him to do it, but that was his choice. He was a man full grown, had his own job, his own money, so he did not asking me for money, which was nice. So he went out. He just wanted to get out. Sometimes people just want to get out there on their own and, and just be their own man. I was that way. I left home when I was 18 years old, and so, you know, and... Um, because I was going to crack a joke about that, but I decided not to. Aren't you glad I didn't? <laughs> this son, he decides he wants to go, but he doesn't have any money. Someday he'll have some money, but the only money he can see him getting is the money he would get when his father dies. But his father is not on death's door, so on a fantastic display of boldness and recklessness, he says to his father, Give me what I'd receive at your death. I want to go and live my own life. And if you think that request is outlandish, the father's response is even more so because the father says, okay. And then, without any consideration of what it cost him personally, the father disposes of his assets, gives the older brother his share, gives the younger brother his share, and the father goes along with it. So the son he takes off and he gets busy living and he lives it up, no doubt pursuing all the varieties of sinful indulgences that money can get you in a world where every vice is available for a price. That is what you have in scripture. He goes and he wastes his money on riotous living. The authorized version says he goes and wastes his money pursuing worldly pleasures, just like you and me do sometimes. But he but he's on a, a scale that's massive. Anything he wants to do, he's got the money to do. There's a lot of things I would like to do, but I don't do because I ain't got the money, right? But this kid, he's got all the money. And so he goes and lives it up. Scripture says he squandered his wealth in wild living. And his fall from that precipice is so far that he winds up as a laborer on a pig farm where both the pay and the food were very small. What he did was he spent his way into disaster, disgrace, and finally into despair. That's the lavishness of the son, the extravagance of the son. Now we have the lavishness of the father. The father gives to the younger son what he wants. In spite of the personal pain it costs him, he does it. The boy wants to be happy. He wants to be free, so the father lets him go. Letting him go out wealthy is, in my opinion, extravagant. It's lavish. Let him go, but don't let him go with a full bank account. But the father does that. The father allows himself to be discounted and dismissed by his son. The fact that he lets his son do this to him is also extravagant, in my opinion. And then years later... When the son comes home humbled and hungry, the father is lavish in his display of love and joy for his son. So much time had passed that the father had believed that his younger son had died, but now he sees the boy is alive and he's filled with joy the father is so lavish in his demonstration of joy that it causes his older son to be upset with him he is upset because he does not believe that his brother his worthless wandering wild child brother he doesn't think he is worthy of this kind of celebration and so the older brother is the opposite of stingy the older <laughs> the opposite of stingy the older brother is the opposite of extravagant he's stingy and i can hear you right now well so what What's the point? Why are you wasting our time with this? Well, this story is the third in a series of stories that Jesus tells in response to something the Pharisees say in chapter 15, verses 1 and 3. Look at the reading. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. They come to hear Jesus. Picture Jesus in, in in the center. He has a nice place to stand or to sit. And all around him are people, they want to hear him. And the closest people to him, the Bible says, are the tax collectors and sinners. They're in the inner circle, and at the fringe of it are the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, they want to hear Jesus too, but they can't get close enough to hear Jesus because of all the rotten sinners around Jesus, and so it ticks them off. And here's what they say. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, muttering under their breath, a You know how it goes. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus hears this. Jesus hears everything because he's omniscient. He knows all things. He knows what we're saying here. And more frighteningly enough, Jesus knows what you're thinking in your heart right this very second. He knows all things. Proverbs 15.3 The eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. So Jesus gives a parable. It's at the end of verse 3. Then Jesus told them this parable. And this parable is actually one parable in three parts. It's one parable in three parts. In this parable, Jesus is responding to the stinginess of the Pharisees. They do not like it that people who have gone astray are getting attention from Jesus. Attention that the Pharisees feel like they deserve because they are the better people. And the stories Jesus tells are about the joy of finding something that was lost to you. The first one is about a lost sheep. A lost sheep, when found, makes the shepherd happy. The second story is about lost money. A woman who has ten pieces of silver and she loses one of them. And lost money, when found, makes a housewife happy. Have you sisters experienced this? You're doing the laundry... And you're turning out pockets to be sure there's no crayons or gum or ink pens and turn out a pocket and find yourself a $20 bill or a 50 cents or a dollar or a $100 bill wouldn't that be great Brothers let's all do it this week let's intentionally leave a $100 bill in our pockets for our wives to find all the sisters in favor say amen <laughs> <laughs> We don't do that. (laughs) Lost money when found makes a housewife happy. And then a lost son when found makes a father happy. I want to ask you three questions in connection with this parable. The first one is this. Are you a lost treasure yourself? Have you, like a sheep, sort of just wandered away from God? You didn't mean to wander away from God. But over time, you sort of lost track of where you were. And now you have found yourself distant from Him, far away from Him. You got caught up in your job, in your family life, or in your hobbies, or getting an education. And God has become a low priority to you. And before you have known it, before you realized it, God has almost become or has become a nobody to you. Just, he's just a a person you sort sort of used to know, like an old friend you went to school with years ago. You hadn't seen or talked to him in years because you've drifted away. Well, I want you to know that if that's the kind of person you are, you've drifted away from God. I want you to know that God is looking for you right now. And I know that because I am standing here in front of you telling you that. I am not here by accident. God called me to preach. God called me through various churches, and finally God has called me here to be your pastor, to speak to you in this moment and this time, and you can take it to the bank. This is a word from God. If you've wandered away from God, he sent me here to say to you, wandering sheep, come back. Come back. Or maybe you're like the lost coin. Maybe something has happened that caused you to get dropped by your church family or by Christianity. And when you hit the floor, you just rolled away. Have you had it happen? You ever drop a coin? At the house, we've been hanging lots of stuff at the new house trying to get settled in. I've been hanging ceiling fans. I've been hanging light fixtures. I've been hanging pictures. I've been doing all kinds of stuff, and I've been dropping screws like crazy. You ever been on a ladder and drop a screw? You hear it hit the floor, but where in the world did it go? You get down there and you root around for it, you look around for it, and you decide finally, I can't find it. It ain't here and anywhere. So you get yourself another screw. You go to your box of screws, your little can of screws, and you get the wrong screw because you got to have something, right? And you screw it up there. <laughs> you literally screw it up and screw it up. <laughs> And then when you put the ladder away and put your stuff away, what do you find? That's right, you find the screw. Maybe that's happened to you like a lost coin. Something happened that caused you to get dropped, and when you hit the floor, you just rolled away. Maybe some kind of church ugliness happened that caused you to lose sight of Jesus. And you forgot that a church is a fellowship of saved sinners. (laughs) A church is a place. If you want to find sinners, you know where to find them at? I'll tell you where to find about 60 or 70, maybe sometimes 100 of them in Sheboygan, Michigan. It's at 616 West Lincoln. <laughs> I see them every Sunday. They walk in the back door. We're all sinners, right? We're all sinners. And friends, you know, there are literally hundreds of reasons that you could come up with. There are hundreds of potential reasons, uh, potential things that could cause you to start rolling away from the church. And then spiritual gravity kind of takes over, and you roll further away than you thought you could ever get from church. Brothers and sisters, we have plenty of reasons to roll away. But God has sent me here to say to you, He wants you back. I'm not like a shepherd right now. Now I'm like a broom. And I'm sweeping around, going into the corners, going under the bed, going behind the washer. And I'm pulling out all the dust. I'm dragging everything out. I'm getting every bit of trash and filth. I'm bringing everything out. And I'm getting the dustpan, and I'm shaking it, looking for the silver, looking for the person who's rolled away from the Lord. You may have been tucked away underneath the washing machine for so long that you feel like, well, I'm no good to anybody. But that's not true. That's not true. I know it's not true because I'm here talking to you about it. This is God's love. God's done it for me. When I was in Bible college, I was a, (laughs) well... I was living like a heathen in July of 1996, and in September of 1996, I found myself in Bible college, going down there to learn to be a preacher. (laughs) So I rolled into the parking lot at Bible college and had to sign a list of 150 things I wouldn't do while I was in Bible college. And the very last one said this, and anything else, the faculty shall deem inappropriate. (laughs) So there I was on my skull can, because <laughs> all real Christians dip. <laughs> there I was on my skull can and my Marlboro soft packs, because that's what Bruce Willis smoked. <laughs> Going to college. You know what I did? I didn't really care for all those rules. I didn't really care for a lot of stuff. and I found myself breaking curfew a lot and doing things I shouldn't be doing. And I was sitting in a Waffle House in Benton, Arkansas, smoking a cigarette, drinking coffee, and waiting on my scrambled eggs with onions on top. When a man came and sat down right beside me, you know who it was? His name name was Kenny Graham, was my pastor. You see, I had rolled away. (laughs) And he came down there and he found me. He showed me the love of God. He said, look, the Lord, the Lord doesn't want you down here doing this stuff. The Lord's after you. The Lord seeks for his lost valuables. He comes a-hunting, looking for him. Or maybe are you a lost treasure like this son? Maybe like the younger son. It could be that your heart has become charmed by the beautiful seduction of sin. And my fear is that for Some that already in your heart, you are as far away from God as you can be. And the only thing that keeps your body from joining your heart is you haven't had a chance to bail out on God yet. You're just waiting. Waiting on a chance. Waiting on a moment. Waiting on a check. So you can bolt and get away from God. What I want to do is I want to warn you. I want to warn you not to do that. Get your heart right with God now. But there is a reality here. The reality is you probably are not going to listen to me. You're probably going to bail. And you'll, have, you'll feel, like it's, you, you feel like you have to go out there. And you will go out there. And here's what's going to happen. If you're one of God's children... You're going to get chewed up and spit out by life. You're going to be all busted up by it. And I hope that in that moment you can remember something. And that's this sermon. The Lord is looking for you. Even though you've been out there rolling around with the pigs, wasted all your time, wasted your money, wasted your opportunities, squandered away a lot of valuable stuff, God is not done with you. He will take you back. You may be done with Him. And Satan will tell you, Satan will whisper in your ear that God is done with you. But I want you to know something. God is not done with you. He's looking for you. He's seeking you. Seeking for His lost ones. Secondly, big number two. Maybe you're stingy this morning. (laughs) Let me, I don't want to, let me take it back. I don't want to accuse you. <laughs> it's not maybe you're stingy. It's are you stingy? Are you stingy? Are you like the Pharisees a little bit and you feel like that you're more important than the raggedy people? Are you a little bit self-righteous? A self-righteous person always becomes hard-hearted because they're not controlled by the Holy Spirit and, and their, their vision gets corrupted. Corrupted. And they begin to grieve the Holy Spirit with their self righteousness, and they forget that it is by the grace of God that we are what we are. Not human wisdom, not personal discipline. To be self righteous is to be self centered, because at the core of self righteousness is pride. Listen to James 4 6. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. This is Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 17. The Lord Almighty has a day in store for all the proud and lofty, for all that is exalted, and they will be humbled. The arrogance of man will be brought low, and human pride humbled. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Stingy. Sort of like a Christian version of Ebenezer Scrooge, you know? Stingy. The third question is this, big number three. How are you going to respond to this message this morning? If you're away from God in your heart and nobody knows it but you, come back to him while it's easy. It's easy. It's easy to get right with God when nobody knows about it but you and God, isn't it? It's easy. You just say, Lord, forgive me. And he takes you back. Nobody knows it but you and him. And you're not going to tell. And he's not going to tell. It's easy. Call out to him. Maybe you've gone further afield than you meant to. Come back to him. You may say, well, I don't know if he will take me back. I'm not really sure about that. Remember last Sunday's sermon? I talked about Samson. And when Samson, after committing a great sin at the end of his life, when he had nothing to offer God but blinded eyes and a broken body, Samson called out to God and boom. God took him back and used him in, a greater, in the greatest final victory. Come back to him. Maybe God has shown you the roots of the Pharisee that are in your heart. And that what you need to do is to repent of that self-righteousness, of that stinginess. Call out to God to forgive you. Ask him to rip it out of your heart. But the choice is yours. The phone is ringing. Please pick it up. Take your copy of God's word. Look at Proverbs 28, 13. I want you to to hear what Solomon says. Proverbs 28, 13. Proverbs 28, 13. Proverbs is right beside the book of Psalms to the right of it. Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper. But the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Mercy. Confessing your sin to who? Confessing your sin to God. You know what it means to confess? Me and Valerie, we've had five children together, five little sinners, just like their mom. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, at various times in our family life, we have discovered that some things have been busted, broken, damaged, written on, defaced, lost, destroyed. (laughs) And we call all five of them in. And we say, who did it? I don't know. Not me. What are you talking about? (laughs) And so you'd say, now look, fess up this is a a parent you have a lot of kids like this This is a parent's favorite tactic all right everybody whoever did it fess up or you're all getting a spanking (laughs) so then you had the pressure you know putting it on them and then invariably at some point one of the kids would go but you can see on her face first the fallen countenance Do you, know what this, do you know what this is? That's confession. To confess is to raise the hand. That's what it means. I, ra- I did it. I did it. You see, and God says if we confess our sins to Him, if we raise the hand and say, I did it, you know what we find from Him? Mercy. But when we go, oh, it was me, it was her. I saw her do it. We tell lies and cover it up. He does not give us the same kind of mercy. Repent. Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen. One scholar says, maybe the greatest verse in all of Scripture. So here's the conclusion. I want to end with this brief story. It's from the, from the life and letters of a Scottish pastor named Robert McShane. You'll hear him mentioned called Robert Murray McShane many times. He was a Scottish pastor and he lived from 1813 To 1843, he died when he was 30 years old. He wrote a letter to a person who had left his church. He pastored a church in Scotland. He he wrote a letter to a person who had left his church and left the Christian faith. It was the wayward son of a church member. In the letter, he says this. This is not a direct quote because I've modernized it for, for us. But in the letter, he says this. I hear that you are happy now, happier than ever. You are happy without God. And then he says something that really struck me. That you can be happy without God should scare you, because without God you are in constant danger. Happy without God. At some point, these, the wanderers away, they, they have to go through this thinking, Do I really need God? I'm happy without Him. My life is pretty good without Him. But if you're happy without him, it means you are under the full deceptive powers of darkness. And you're in danger. In danger. I want all of you to remember that. Without God, you are in danger. So here's three, three conclusions. Don't leave God. Don't leave him. You say, well, everybody else is leaving him. If everybody's jumping off a cliff, are you going to jump off a cliff? <laughs> Don't leave him. That old song, I've decided to follow Jesus, though none go with me, still I will follow. You know, some people go to heaven in a crowd, and some people go to heaven alone. I have pastored people who were saved, their wife was saved, their husband's saved, their kids all saved, their moms and dads all saved, the whole family's saved. All of them are Christians going to heaven. I've also pastored people who they are the only person in their whole family who was saved. Lost husband, lost wife, lost sons, lost daughters, lost moms, lost dads, lost everything. And they're the only Christian. That's what I mean when I say some people go to heaven with the crowd, some people go to heaven alone. Don't leave God, no matter what. Don't leave him. If you have left him, please come back. Please come back. His arms are wide open. When you do come back. You may hear some Pharisees running their mouth. But I want you to know some. They don't speak for God. They're speaking for themselves. They're not speaking for God. God is not pleased with them or their sin. Come back to the Lord. Don't leave him. and If you have left him, come back. If you've left him by just a little bit. Come back. It's a short step. Come back to the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we commit this sermon to your hands and to the work of the Holy Spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.